It is good to be with you guys today. If we could just thank the band for leading us in worship one more time. I... If you weren't with us last week, we're in the book of Haggai, which is in the Old Testament. And there's a grand chance you've not spent a whole lot of time in that book. And there's a possibility that you weren't with us last week. Now, I'm not sure what your reasoning for not being with us last week. There are some people who are legitimately concerned about not coming to church in the midst of a pandemic. And I understand that completely. There are also some of us who are riding under the coattails of a legitimate concern about not coming to church. Yet I keep seeing you at Mexican restaurants eating bowls of chips, and I'm not sure what to do with that. Uh, not judgment, not a judge, just a fruit inspector. Uh, in the words of Luke, woe to you. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, we're in Haggai chapter 2, and I want to do a little bit of a recap. Last week we talked about how for the people of Israel, the temple symbolized that God is with us. And the people of, that God is calling through Haggai have been sent, Haggai has been sent to them to say, rebuild my temple so you can sell Celebrate my presence. And we see that the people of Judah, they've ignored the presence of the Lord by ignoring care for his temple. And God gives them this simple, clear, clean instruction. He gives them an action step. You've been ignoring my presence by ignoring the temple. So I want you to go get lumber from the hills, come back and rebuild my temple. And I gave to us as a body of believers, as people who are not called to seek after a temple, because for us the building is a different thing altogether, but we are called to seek after the presence of God in our everyday lives. I gave us a simple action step as well. And I pretty much, I'm going to have it on the screen, I think, by ignoring blank, I am ignoring the Lord. And so I'm going to stop ignoring blank in order to acknowledge the Lord. Remember that from last week? That's kind of one of the things that was a central step for us. Anybody see that? Remember that? Okay, cool. I do because I wrote it. Um, but by ignoring blank, I am ignoring the Lord. So I'm going to stop ignoring blank in order to acknowledge the Lord. We encourage us to consider that through the week. I wrestled in my own heart to consider that for myself throughout the week. And I got to around Tuesday when I realized that life is complicated. And things are coming at you from left and right, front, back. There are situations and circumstances that surround, that actually invade everything that takes place in our lives. And there are moments where we really, sincerely want to seek after the presence of the Lord. Yet in the middle of that, we're having to acknowledge that life is happening around us and life is not always easy. As a matter of fact, life is incredibly difficult. When we meet the people of of Judah in this passage today, we're right where they are when we are considering that life is difficult and things don't always seem to go the way that we think they should go. So go with me to Haggai chapter 2. We're going verses 1 through 9 today. Uh, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, and to the remnant of the people. Who among you, who is left among you, who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing by comparison? 
Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is God's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise that I have made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this once more in in a little while. I'm going to shake the heavens and I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to shake the sea and shake the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and the gold, they both belong to me. And this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the glory of the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. God meets a people who are in a situation where they are discouraged and distraught because things don't seem to be going the way they expected them to go. And He says, in the middle of that... I'm with you. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you a breakdown of today's text. As I always say with narrative passages, we can have a bit of a a messy outline for a story because this is a story of people. This is a story of, of the people of God and how He's speaking to them. So just to give us some hooks and handles for the passage, three things to write down. Consider what God has done. Two, one through five. Two, one through five. Concentrate on what God will do. Two, six through eight. And three, celebrate how God will do it, 2 verse 9. One more time for those in the back. Consider what God has done, 2, 1 through 5. Concentrate on what God will do, 2, 6 through 8. And celebrate how God will do it. Consider what God has done. Well, let's go back. Chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month. This date is important because Bible dates are typically important. They don't just give us these for us to know, oh, that was in October. They want you to know what's taking place for the Jewish people. And here on the 21st day of the seventh month, they are in what's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And at this feast, this festival, it's different, unlike any other Jewish festival, different and unlike their synonyms, in that... You have the Jewish people, but the Gentiles are also invited to come and be part of what's taking place. They get to watch. They get to sit in the midst of what's taking place for the Jewish people. And you were instructed to do something that was pretty important. You were instructed to build a a hut, if you will. If you Google it, you can see images of it. A small tabernacle. So you go, you, you have a home, but you go in your backyard and you live in this little hut that you built because it is a remembrance of the fact that God delivered the children of Israel during from their captivity to Egypt. And as, as you've built this, you are to be in this structure for seven days. Now while this is taking place, during these seven days, you're going out and you're going about and you see that the religious leaders are walking around and they have these large cisterns or jars of water that they're pouring out. And it's a big deal because you just kind of would see one of these religious leaders walking around and you would 
associate with them. You would get close to them. You would be there for this celebration. It's similar to what we see at parades when people throw candy or whatever. We don't do that anymore. We gave that up February of 2020. But we, we would see this and we would be like, oh, this is a celebratory thing. And whenever the water was poured out, everyone was emotionally moved because it's a reminder that God has provided for His people. It's a big, big deal for the Jewish people. And this is the very last day of that. And we've moved from celebration to consideration when you look at the text. Because when they move from pouring the water out on the very last day, when the religious leaders would bring this, it was a moment of worship, really. Because every, everyone who was there was, was kneeling and they were considering all that God had done. But the religious leaders, when they would pour over the water on the last day, the great day, it was empty. Now, throughout the rest of the week, you've been seeing that it is poured out, and you've been seeing and you've been celebrating how God provided for the nation of Israel and has gotten them from X to Y to Z, has provided for them a promised land. But on this last day, you're considering what God will do. You're thinking about what He will do in the future. This is also a Thanksgiving feast for these people of sorts. Because when they would gather together at the, feast, at the festival of booths or tabernacles, these synonymous terms, they would have their bounty from the, from the recent crops. So if you're in this passage, and if you're a Jewish person living amongst this, you are in a year where you are called to remember the delivery of the nation of Israel from Egyptian captivity. And you are called to do so as you reflect on God's temple. And while you're doing that, you're not only reflecting on His temple, you're eating of the crops that He has given to you in your harvest. But here in this passage, there are two things that are missing from this celebration, really. The temple is in ruins. It's been destroyed. And when you look at it, it's awful. Not only is it, has the temple been destroyed due to your poor decisions, when you look through Haggai chapter 1, you see that the Thanksgiving bounty that they had was going to be pretty not great. So for these people in the middle of this situation, everything is screaming of disappointment. Everything is screaming of sadness. Everything is screaming of, this is not the way that this is supposed to be. This is not how this is supposed to feel. This feels wrong. Did anyone feel like your summer was different? Did anyone's schedule feel off? We are living Groundhog's Day over and over and over. This feels wrong. And there's this sadness among them. My dad's birthday was August 8th. That's yesterday. My dad passed away 2015. I thought about it on, on Friday night and got sad. And I was sad when I thought about it yesterday. Throughout the day, uh, you could tell I was sad because I, I pushed these thoughts to the back of my mind by mowing my grass on purpose. Like, I wouldn't mow the grass. Go mow. There's a lot of manly things to do. Just a weight that was there all day. A sadness. A sadness that I really did push to the point where I did, I'd forgotten about it. Sadness. Maybe you've got a sadness that sits on you at times. Maybe your sadness is on you right now. Making it worse, like my relationship with my dad was uncomfortable, 
we we didn't have a, a strong father son bond, a sadness. This is not the way that this is supposed to be. Something, something is wrong. Something's wrong. That's how the nation of Israel feels in this passage. Something is desperately wrong. Something is incredibly wrong. And I love what God does. He does not ignore it. He speaks to it. God says this through Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. That's descendant of David, for those of you who are wondering. To the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak. That, that name means God saves us. He's the promised one. He's a pointer to Jesus. And to the remnant of the people, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Now last week we pointed out when they really started rebuilding the temple, it was very early on that the, that the boomers showed up. And when the boomers showed up, they said, wait, this temple is not as cool as the old temple was. This is terrible. And here, 14 years removed, for those who are, those boomers who are still booming, they're there. And they've got just a wall or two up and they're looking at the temple and they just keep saying this is not the way things are supposed to be. They're weeping, they're wailing, their hearts are broken because the temple is not what it is supposed to be. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing by comparison? This is horrendous. And God points out in the midst of what they're dealing with, in the midst of what they're looking at, that it's horrendous. But God has something to say to them as He has them contemplate what is taking place with this temple. Does it not seem to you like nothing? How many of us remember when we came into a relationship with Jesus or we saw Jesus do something that was incredibly miraculous? Does anyone have anything like that in their own spiritual situation? This is where you can wave your hand at me. Or not. And then we will talk to you later. It's a joke. When you see God point this out in the passage... He is pointing out, some of you remember the miraculous things that have happened. But one of the contemporaries of Haggai comes alongside of this and says to the people, don't despise the little things. Don't despise that God's in those small things. Who remembers how it was? Who is disappointed because it's not what it was supposed to be? Don't forget, the same God is is with you. Verse 4, even so be strong. He says be strong three times. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people. This is the declaration of God. Work. So here you see in verses 4 and 5, God tell, tell us you can be strong because of these things. And if you're a note taker, these may help you out. Be strong. I promise that I'll be with you. I have not left you. And for those of us who are sitting in disappointment, sitting in sadness right now, God says be strong because I haven't left. I've not left. I'm with you. Not only do I promise that, my presence is with you. I'm in the midst of your mess. God does not look at the world that we live in right now, regardless of why you believe what's happening is happening. God does not look at this and say, I've abandoned that. He's not walked away from it. I'm in the middle of it. 
I'm in the midst of your mess. I'm with you. So he's promised that he hasn't left and he's with us. His presence is with us. I'm right here in the middle of it and I'm going to be your provision in it. We will accomplish what I have set out to accomplish because I'm with you. You're not going to have Moses. You're not going to have David. You're not going to have Solomon. And all of these names are tied to this promise of God's witness. Abraham, God says, I'll be with you. We've talked about that. Moses, God says, I'll be with you. We've talked about that. Joshua, God says, I'll be, I am with you. Over and over, God says this to his people. But it wasn't just a phrase that they used. It's a phrase that they would use with one another. When David handed the temple to Solomon, when he handed the throne to Solomon, he said to him, be strong, the Lord is with you. There's a conversation with Joseph, and and Joseph is reminded that God is with him. Do you know where the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph? As he was dealing with Potiphar's wife, who was doing everything she could to discredit him. That is difficulty. I am with you. They use the phrase regularly. It reminds me of what takes place in the Star Wars movies. Every, Every goodbye, the force, may the force be with you. But it's more because this is not just some force that is a a reflection of life and breath. The Jewish people are saying that God is with you. And when they say that, they're saying the one who gives life and breath is with you. I am with you. Oswald Chambers, he wrote my utmost for his highest and probably a lot of other books, said this. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. God's pointing out to us through Oswald and through what he says to hear more importantly through Haggai that the promise of the Lord that he is with you and his very presence says to us, don't be afraid for all of us, myself included, who can become overwhelmed with anxiety. God says, I'm with you. I am with you. In the small moments, in the moments where it doesn't feel like you're hitting home runs, but you're getting hit in the face with the ball. That's a baseball illustration. I don't do those a lot. I am with you. So that's considering what God has done. But not only do we consider what God has done, in verses 6 through 8, we concentrate on what God will do. Because God's going to do something. Verse 6 through 8. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so the treasures of all nations will come. And I will fill the house. This is Taylor Swift's favorite verse. Shake, shake, shake. We're just shaking everything. Before she went into the woods and just lived there like a hippie for this new album. I will shake all the nations so the treasures of all nations will come and I will fill this house with my glory. So God is saying, I'm going to do something and I want you to concentrate on what I'm going to do. But that does not separate you from it. When we begin to look at things like God's providence and God's sovereignty, we cannot look at those to the point where we disqualify ourselves from action because God seems to have something to say to His people about acting, about doing, about being. The fact the Spirit is working is shown by the fact that the people are at work. It does not depend on us. So don't ever think that God depends on you. He's not wondering if He's going to make heaven do heavenly things because you're part of it. His very presence inspires people to do what seems to be hopeless apart from Him. Are we doing things that communicate that we live in a hopeless world where we somehow have hope? 
The words are big in this passage. Once more, it connects the dots. Why does it connect the dots? Because God has just said in verses 4 and 5, I was with Moses, I was with Abraham, I, I was with all of those. This whole story of ours, I've not stopped telling it. I'm still telling my story once more. Tells us that God has not stopped doing. The Spirit of God that showed Himself uniquely in the book of Exodus, He has not left. He's in the whisper as much as the shout. The God who, and for all of us, the God who saved you when you became a Christian, He's not left because your fuzzies have. The God who got you through the death of a loved one, He has not walked away. The God who walked you through the difficulty of a divorce has not left, nor has He abandoned you. He promises to be with His people. And that promise does not depend on how good you are, but how good and faithful He happens to be. I will be with you. Once more, He says. Once more. Don't forget that I'm with you. And then he uses the phrase, in a little while. Well, who gets to decide what a little while means? Because I like to decide that a little while means a little while. I'm not good at waiting on things. Those pizza people are slow. For God, a thousand years is one day. That's Psalms, not me. It's not a matter of what will happen. We watch a sporting event. Everything's tight and tense. Our favorite teams playing someone else's team, the evil ones. And we wonder as the, the clock ticks away or as we're at the bottom of the ninth inning, will this end the way that I want it to end? That's not this story. This is not a, a debate. This is the end of a novel that we don't expect, but the author understood all along. He knows. He's at work. He's with you. And He is inspiring and He is enabling and He is providing power for you to do the things that He's called you to do. Be hope-filled people in a hopeless world. To, to display a kingdom that is unshakable. Here's what He says. He says, see all of the things, they're mine. I love that. Uh, this stuff matters. I, I'm going to shake... I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to shake the sea and the dry land. So that's like here and then it's everything that's here. I will shake all the nations so the treasures of all nations will come. So there's a couple of things happening here in the moment and for the future. It's considering what will take place while it tells us what's taking place. When he says he's shaking the nations and he's providing for the temple to be what it needs to be, it's pointing out the fact that Darius, the very king of Persia, who's allowed them to rebuild the temple, he's making decisions right now to tax his people so the temple can be what it needs to be. Darius didn't just make that up. God's shaking it out of him. He's shaking him upside. I'm going to get everything I need to make my temple what it needs to be through you. God's shaking, God moving, God doing God things. The silver is mine. The gold belongs to me. All of these things that you view as valuable, all of the things that all of civilization views as important, those things are all mine. And I'm going to do things so that those things that you think are so important, they're going to come to me so that you can see how important I am because for whatever reason, you're missing it. All of the stuff is mine. And I'm going to do things to display that all of the things are mine. So you work. Don't disqualify yourself from working. 
if your view of Christianity is so providential that you disqualify yourself from Christian work, it's a poor, distorted view of Christianity that Jesus has nothing to do with. Because He has called you and He has called me over and over using active verbs. You make disciples. You go to all nations. These are all words that are moving. You don't get to tell them to stop. Not only do we concentrate on what God will do. Concentrate. Fixing our mind's attention. Our heart's affection. We celebrate how God will ultimately do it. Uh, Verse 9. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. But the Ark of the Covenant's missing, and the Shekinah glory is not here, and maybe you're just missing something, Hagar, when you're getting your prophecies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Here's the thing. The phrase itself, Lord of armies, is more for you to see how powerful God is than for you to than for him to be saying he's powerful. He doesn't need an army. It's for his people to see his power. Peace is a central theme in the Bible. We see it over and over. We see love. We see peace. We see grace. It's a theme. And it is central to who the Messiah is. Peace is central to what the Messiah, our Prince of Peace, will bring us. So we, we look at what that means. It means that God, who we have seen and heard from and known in the person of Jesus, has restored a relationship with man. So if you're unfamiliar with that terminology, humanity is sinful, broken. We are far from God. It has a lot to do with Adam and Eve and, and naked and a snake and an apple. But God has made right what our sin made wrong. And not only is God restoring relationships with humanity, God is making all things new. Now remember those buckets of water we were talking about earlier. I said cisterns, but I prefer buckets because I live here. And I've been to Home Depot. Orange ones. When they're pouring those out on the last day at the Feast of Tabernacles. They're pouring out empty buckets and all the people are on their knees and and they're waiting and they're anticipating and they're hoping that, that miraculously, not water that's been put there, but water that has not been placed there will flow from the buckets. And they'll all just stand in the midst of this silent moment while they're kneeling and bowing and they'll just begin to hoop and holler and... And shout and scream and celebrate the amazing things that God does. That's what they want to see. But every single year as they're doing all of these things, that's not happening. Now they're considering how God's going to shake everything out and provide all this valuable. But here, every year at this festival of booths, they're coming together. And when the water's poured out, there's nothing that's there on that last day. So the people are called to think next year. It'll be next year. It'll be next year. They're always a forward-thinking people. We get to John chapter 7 and Jesus shows up at this festival of booths. 
and, and while he's there, there's a lot that takes place between him and the Pharisees wanting to fuss and fight with him because that's just what Pharisees do. They fuss and fight with Jesus. Fight Pharisees in the Bible, Pharisees in 2020, Pharisees in this room. All of us like to fight with Jesus. I say us. I, I go Pharisee really easy. <laughs> But on the last day, on the important day of the festival, John seven thirty seven says, Jesus stood up. Like they're all kneeling, they're all waiting, they're all bowing, they're hoping to see something incredible. Waiting to hoop, waiting to holler, waiting to shout. air is filled with the scent of what they're going to eat. The air is filled with the aroma that says that God's pleasure is there, but they're waiting. They just wait, wait, wait. What's going to take place? But before the buckets that are going to be as usual poured out with nothing, while everyone else is kneeling, this Prince of Peace, ironically enough, stands in the middle of it. He stood up and he cried out in John 7, 37. Now cry doesn't mean, it's not like he whimpered or, or whined. I mean, he stood up and he declared as loudly as he possibly could for everyone who was within earshot and some who were beyond earshot to hear. In a world where they're waiting for water to come out miraculously, Jesus stands in the midst and he says this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. The water that Jesus provides in and out, gushing and gushing. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. We know the song. It's communicating to us this heaviness of who Jesus is. All that you've been waiting for, all that you've been anticipating, all that you've been looking toward, all that you've been wanting to find your hope and wanting to find your identity in, all of this miraculous that you've been wanting God to do, God's doing that right now in your midst, not through water, but by the person himself who is the living water of God. Notice what he doesn't provide. He doesn't provide things that we view as valuable. You'll notice that as you walk through the New Testament. Jesus, when he talks about himself, he never compares himself to things that are valuable. As a matter of fact, he he does not bother with trivial trinkets. We actually bring those trivial trinkets to him. When he's born, they bring gold, they bring frankincense, they bring myrrh. For us, every Sunday, we bring bring resources to, to the Lord. You may do it online. We bring our time, we bring our talents, we bring our treasures. We bring all of these things that cost us something, that are exhausting to us. But Jesus never uses that type of language to talk about himself. He talks about his kingdom like that some. But when Jesus talks about himself, he does not use words that are tied to our view of value. He uses words that communicate that he is essential. That he is necessary. He is, was an essential worker before essential workers were cool. Those are things, these trinkets are things that belong to him. Our money, our, our resources. Here's what Jesus says he is. I'm God's provision of the bread that will get you from one step to the next. I am the light that cuts the darkness that you need cut so that you can keep moving. 
I am the shepherd and the gate who protect a fear-filled people and tell them to be strong and take courage. I am the way, the truth, and the life for a searching, lie-filled, scurrying people who more than ever need direction. I am the resurrection that tells death to go to hell. I am the very vine that helps you grow. And right here, Jesus says that He is the living water that is the desire of all nations. Jared and I were talking this morning about what it means for Him to be living water. Do you realize that when civilizations form and they begin to get together to be a civilization, we always talk about what they're going to do. They're going to conquer. They're going to overcome. They're going to overwhelm. They're going to steal from other, from other nations. That's the conversation that nations have in the Bible and sadly today. Jesus says about Himself that He's the desire of all nations. Do you know before those civilizations can ever be what they need to be what they need? You can't be a civilization without a source of water. And Jesus says, I'm what everyone wants even though they don't realize that I'm the one they want. He's using their very world to say to them, you need me. And maybe, just maybe this morning, for us as a body of believers who get together at 1027 Dixie Drive, we would consider what it means that we need Jesus. Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus, and Jesus says to you, I'm offering you to restore the relationship that you have, a broken relationship between God and you. And I am the river of life that can provide that. And maybe for us, we're believers in Jesus and we're just struggling and we're in the moment of wanting and we know that we're working, but we're exhausted. And Jesus says to you, I promise I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to make all things new. Maybe we just need to hear this message from Jesus that He is God's very provision, the light and the darkness, all of those things. And maybe we need to acknowledge that. And be strong, 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 and work. Because the one who has promised to us is faithful and true. And he has not walked away from you because your situation is hard. He's actually with you in the midst. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. levels if you are here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus we're very careful with interactions but if you're here and you need to talk to someone about that I'll be in the back corner of the room I'll mask up but if you're like, I, I can't do that, well, here's the beauty. We, we can connect with you through online. We can put that up later. But just know God doesn't just exist in this moment. Thank God He doesn't. Maybe you're a believer and right here you're exhausted and you just need to hear and you need to know and you need to acknowledge be strong and work. What if we just concentrated as we sing today on who Jesus is, the one who is all the things that this passage declares, all the things that John 7 declares. He is the desire of all nations and the nations don't know it. 
He's the desire of my heart. And there are times that I forget it. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And I pray that you would stir us. Lord, stir us like you did Zerubbabel. Stir us like you did Joshua. Stir us like you did Darius. Stir us. To you and your kingdom. We ask all this in your powerful name. The name that gives life and breath and everything else.